Everybody, welcome to episode three of the House of X Book Club. I'm Shane, joined by our irreplaceable host, Rob, and hey. the Luddite Roger. Good day. <laughs> oh, yeah. Third episode. We did it. That's, that's <laughs> right. or we, we keep doing it. Even. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is a this is a good one. I think we talk about some Fantastic Four that had an appearance from the X Men. Mm-hmm. Kind of. That I mean, was yeah. No, it was definitely an appearance from the X Men. Yes, this uh, this wasn't the cameo from no, Tales no, no, no. to Astonish. No, but what a, <laughs> no this is what a, a pretty good crossover a story. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I did too. It was a fun, yeah. It was, it was a funny. Story. Yeah, yeah. And then we get into X Men number six. Um, Still having some of the, the same earlier. We weren't really worried about audio levels or controlling the which microphone was being used. So um, a little bit of echo and inconsistency with the sound. But, it you know, where it's going to get better, we're working on we start we decide to to go with a format and actually record and, and use real microphones after <laughs> episode four. So does get better <laughs> it does indeed but now we'll get into episode three of house of x book club welcome everybody to the house of x uh book club this is session two for this session we had to read fantastic four number 28 x-men number six seven eight and nine everybody did the reading right yes yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay. Um, I guess we should introduce each other, too. I'm Rob Hawthorne, um, which is weird for me to say because I still want to call myself Eblison Grun. Um, but, uh, and I kind of started this thing with my buddies, Shane and Roger, and of course, my, my wife, Rowan, who's here also. So uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves, you guys. I'm Rowan, which seems superfluous now that Rob introduced us. Oh. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, so, Rowan, I have a question since you're introducing yourself after I have already done it. Um, what kind of connection to comic books do you have? Um, I sometimes read them. That's, that's as connected as I am. I sometimes read them. Okay. All right. Do you have a favorite? Um... But probably the closest would be would be Sandman, and I I liked the first crow, uh, the first okay. one. All right, who's next? I'll go. I guess uh, my <laughs> name's Roger, and uh, I've known Rob since what middle high school, something like that. Probably eighth grade. Yeah, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And uh, they say the yeah. memory's the first thing to go. <laughs> Who are you, son? <laughs> I, I don't recognize you. <laughs> so, uh, as far as my favorite comics, I've always liked the X Men. Uh, mostly the newer, like '90s X Men, was what I was into because that's when I was when I was collecting mostly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like DC characters and stuff too. But I've always preferred, for some reason, I've been I've been thinking about this lately. I've always preferred Marvel characters over dc i i can't exactly figure out why but yeah 
that's really interesting you say that uh i i put on our blog um like a number zero blog where i talked about i actually talked about uh one how we'd get we'd all get together and read comics after going to the comic shop and and yep. uh, you know talk about them but also how i first got into comics and honestly when i first got into comics myself it was all about dc comics and people were coming up to me going, hey, do you like Wolverine? Hey, do you like, and I'm like, I don't know, man. They're not Batman. I, I like Batman. I like, I like Hellblazer. I like that dark shit. I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't care yeah. for the Marvel spandex. But then of yeah. course, when I got into them, I kind of slid over to Marvel mostly. But all right. Anyway. Cool. And. Why, hello. I'm Shane. Excellent. You might remember me from such YouTube features as Exorcist. And doing commentary for all pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah, that, that uh, WWF. I remember that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> no. So the other day I was having a conversation with a friend of mine. Oh, well, so my comic favorite comic book changes from time to time. Um, most recent one, I think, that just ended was um, Do a Powerbomb by Daniel Warren Johnson. That was great. Very not just not just about pro wrestling it was also about um uh it was very it was like a supernatural story apparently earth is the only planet where pro wrestling is fake and <laughs> yeah so it's it's really it was really entertaining but daniel warren johnson is just everything he's he's been on fire lately his beta ray bill miniseries was fantastic of course there was murder falcon which was amazing yeah so that one's really good i also enjoy um Something is killing the children. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. But uh, started reading comics was, gosh, I was little. I can, it was G.I. Joe and Star Wars. I think I bought like that. It, it was the Marvel Star Wars, which was the continuation, which was like someone watched Star Wars and then took mushrooms and just wrote down whatever passed through their brain. I read those, dude. I think it was Archie Archie Goodwin, Al Williamson, something like yep, that. Yep, yep, yep. That's right. It was uh, the art was actually pretty interesting, and the the storytelling kept you going. Yeah, and there was just, it was just all over the place. Like there was the at one point he, uh, Luke fought like another big white furry monster that had clothes on this time, but and then he then they were running around with like little talking rabbit things. And yeah, was, there was yeah. that weird rabbit character. Yeah, you're right. Well, no, there was the weird rabbit character, but they were running around with like actual little alien rabbit-looking creatures that they all talked to. You know, it was a it was a serial in the in the comics page of the newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was yeah, and then and then of course GI Joe Larry Emma was who went on to write Wolverine, and that was fantastic. I never, I didn't, I never got into the the DC stuff as much. I mean, you know, liked Batman. You know, once once met up with Rob and Roger, I guess we met in '89 when Rob's mom tried to run me over in the crosswalk. That is correct. <laughs> I remember that day fondly. Um, <laughs> she still talks about it too. <laughs> so, so going back to, I, I actually my favorite comics right now are. Or X-Men. And I think that's just kind of a thing right now because I'm really into the current X-Men books as well as Dude, the old. be specific though, like what era? I mean, you gotta you gotta nail yeah. down like what right. era okay. of X-Men. Right. So so if I were to say my ultimate all-time favorite comics, my favorite comic book issue of all time is Sandman number one. But I am a huge fan of the X-Men and 
I'm going to go ahead and say that I love the era of X-Men with Chris Claremont and Mark Silvestri on art. And I, because, so when I first got into comics, it was, I, I even wrote about it in our blog number zero, where Shane asked me one day, Hey, uh, who's your favorite X-Men? And I, again, I was a Batman, like Batman. I collected Star Trek from DC. I mm-hmm. collected, I read Indiana Jones from Marvel and Star Wars and, and, and Batman and Hellblazer. So I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, I, I got a favorite X-Man. It's, it's that blue guy. And, and then he's like, well, which blue guy? And I'm like, <laughs> I go, well, you know, the, the blue guy with the tail and the yellow eyes and. And I noticed that he he didn't hear me say that. By that time, he had already he was talking to somebody else, and it's because he had a, a comic book in his hand that he was showing people. And so when I went over to, of course, I didn't know the yellow-eyed, blue-furred guy with the tail. I didn't know his name. I didn't know what powers he had. I just thought he looked cool. So I was like, yeah, that's my favorite. Um, <clears throat> he could said Wolverine, and I would have been like, I don't know who that is. Uh, but I looked at the comic book that Shane had in his hand and people were like, Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, and it was the issue of uncanny X-Men with sinister holding his hand out. And there are X-Men dangling from his fingers over the fire. And it was like, uh, uncanny X-Men 200 and something uh, inferno. Inferno. Yep. Yeah. I think it was like two thirty-eight, maybe. That's correct. I believe it is. And so I was like, yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, <laughs> so so I read that. And then we started, we were hanging out with Shane pretty heavily and trading comics and, and you know, reading each other's comics. And the next thing I know, I have a pretty good run of Chris Claremont and I'm going back to the comic shop to get the ones I didn't have. And then I was going to the comic shop to get the ones that came before that and the ones that came before that. And the ones that came before that. And then I was getting all the other books that connected to it, like X-Factor, New Mutants, and all the ones that only slightly connected to it. And then the ones that even barely mentioned it. And then the ones that just came out because, you know, why not? So, but that's... that's for that, I remember when you were going through all those uh, all those uh, back issues at Bonanza, mm-hmm. yeah. looking for X-Factor. You were like, dude, do you see X-Factor, blah, blah, blah? And I'm like, I don't know, and I don't see it yeah <laughs> and we go to, of course into, at yeah. that point i think i was a little more into the uh back issues of the hulk yeah which that were also my... killer yeah that was um, the that was... the peter david era yes yeah yep. so at any rate that is it and uh like i said the other day i've been reading recently all the x-men because the x-men now the x-men books now is so freaking bizarre like half of them don't even live on earth anymore. They live on Mars or something. So I'm all, this is just a science fiction epic. I want to know what it took to get here, you know? So I decided to go back and start reading X-Men from number one, which it's going to take me like 80 years just to get, get through everything. But, <laughs> and so I got up to a certain point and I'm like, you know what? I should bring my friends in on this and we should all, we should all talk about this. We should all read it together. So at any rate, the first book on our list was Fantastic Four, number 28. And uh, yeah, I mean, 
<laughs> I don't know where to start with that one. Um, so it was uh, drawn by Jack Kirby, written by Stan Lee. Um, oh, I, I guess I should say it was released in April of 1964. And our last meeting, somebody said, I kind of want to know what was going on in other comics at that point. Well, what was coming out that month was Daredevil number two. Nice. Uh, Journey into Mystery number 105 that had Thor. Um, Tales to Astonish 57, which was a giant man, wasp, and Spider-Man. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 14, which was the first Green Goblin, I believe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, going back there. Yeah. Strange Tales number 122, which was Human Torch and Doctor Strange. And then Tales of Suspense, which was uh, number 55 which was Iron Man versus the Mandarin. So that's what was coming out during Fantastic Four number 28 during that, that period. So um, Jack Kirby, like I said, Jack Kirby did the art. Stan Lee did the writing. The inker was a man named Chick Stone, which is a pretty slick name. Um, and our good friend Art Simic did the, uh, did the lettering. Um, and uh, the colors on this book I noticed are not actually apparently Marvel didn't credit the colors until the mid seventies. And which I think is kind of a low blow. You, you got some really interesting work because the colors, some of these guys actually designed the colors of the costumes too. Right. You know, it, it wasn't Stan Lee or Jack Kirby who decided that the Hulk was green and his pants were purple. <laughs> I mean, or that the Hulk was gray and that his pants were purple. Um, so you'll see that they're un, uncredited. Now, there's a guy named Stan Goldberg, and he was mainly the colorist for Marvel Comics at the time. Um, he did colors from 1960 to 1969. And uh, he, he also wrote and penciled and inked several series. Um, he was hired as a freelance colorer. So his work, like I said, went uncredited. And I think it was because he was freelance. He wasn't strictly Marvel guy. Um, uh, some of his work, sadly, will be credited as Saul Brodsky. So you may see this uh, the name Saul Brodsky, um, where, where it says colors or, or written by or something like that. Now, Saul was a production manager at Marvel at the time. And when the books were going through, anytime he didn't see a name, he'd plug his own name in. <laughs> that just, that's wow. a douche move. That's totally. just a totally, that's a total douche move. Yeah, that's kind so, of fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So he, who did this? Um, Why? Uh, I did. Uh, yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the ticket. <laughs> so Stan Goldberg went to DC Comics in 1969 and he penciled. Ended up penciling books like Scooby-Doo. Um, he used that kind of cartoony style, of course. Scooby-Doo, The Simpsons, Simpsons for bo uh, Bongo? Bongo yeah, comics? Yeah, Bongo, yeah. Yeah. And and so he did Simpsons for Bongo in 2011. Uh, he died in 2014. But, but damn, the dude was uh, doing art and writing up till his last days, practically. Oh, well, my favorite piece of his work of course, is the very popular, and I know you gentlemen have read this book too, the Archie versus Punisher book. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Now, now Stan did the art for the Archie part of it because I think it was a Basima or somebody who did like the Punisher art. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, he did the Archie art because he also worked for Archie Comics and he had that kind of style. So at any rate, um, going back to Fantastic Four number 28, there's your little uh, there's your little comic book history lesson. Um, Fantastic Four number 28 is a story called We Have to Fight the X-Men. Uh, and that's why it's being featured today, because it it actually is a it's an X-Men story. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um yeah, so it's it's a story where the X-Men have to they have to lure the Fantastic Four to a faraway island. No, they don't. Uh let me let me finish. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of opinions about this story. Um where okay, so the idea is that they lure the Fantastic Four to an island um because the Mad Thinker and the the puppeteer, puppet master puppet master sorry puppeteer the puppet master puppet master um, yeah want to destroy the fantastic four um and of course you know they fight and in the end they kind of team up and then they defeat the bad guy and etc but uh i'm interested in hearing your all thoughts your thoughts about this um how how did you like it i mean i'll i'll be honest i kind of enjoyed it and I enjoyed it from the perspective of somebody who's looking back at it, at it as a piece of history, not just <laughs> a good comic story. Because there are damn, if I want to read a good comic story, I'll read Neil Gaiman, I'll read some Terry Moore, I'll read, <laughs> I'll read, uh, you know, a whole bunch of people, you know, Matt Fraction, Dennis Hopeless. I'll read all these great books, Brian K. Vaughn. I'm not going to read old Stan Lee comics. No. Nope. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I, I have a few things I want to say about it, but I want to hear what Roger has to say about it. And I'll tell you why uh, specifically. Last time we met, Roger said, and I'm going to try to quote this as closely as possible. Here we go. Okay. Jack Kirby. Uh -oh. I respect the man. He's done a lot. I do not like his artwork. <laughs> so, so I just noticed that the artwork is is different in this book, and I don't know if it's because we have a different inker, but I'm curious as to how you feel about his art now. Does okay is the way so, that this is drawn differently? And, and yeah, go ahead. It's it's again going back to. Um, what we were talking about last time with these guys working on multiple books at one time and being under time constraints, it seemed like, I think that because, because Kirby and Stan Lee were working on fantastic four and X-Men, I think that um, like, I don't know what their first issue of anything together was, but it seemed like they, they just got better and more polished as time went on. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think that, um, I think that Kirby's art was slowly getting better in the sense that he was, I don't know if it's maybe because he had more time or maybe he was just putting a little more creativity and effort into it. But it seemed like, uh, it seemed a little more creative in a lot of ways, like, uh, the backgrounds and things 
the environments were a little bit more fleshed out. They weren't just like a yellow background with a door or something mm -hmm. kind of vague, you know? Um, I do want to <clears throat> interject real quick and say that this is about where we are in X-Men continuity. So this it's not like we've gone forward in time to read the Fantastic right. Four. This yeah, is about terrible. where we are in X-Men yeah. continuity. But what it does seem like is that maybe they like the Fantastic Four a little bit more. You know, the X-Men's kind of a stepchild. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, but remember, remember the first few issues of X-Men on the cover, it said done in the style of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. So I think, I think that, um, I think the X-Men maybe afforded them a little freedom that they didn't have with Fantastic Four. I'm not sure. Because the format, when you when you look at these team books, the format is always pretty similar, right? Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, you got like four or five people. You know, there's always like character interplay. You know, like, uh, you know, Beast or Angel, kind of picking on um, Iceman, things like that, mm -hmm. or uh, Ben Grimm and um, you know Human Torch, kind of jabbing at each other. But there's always a similar sort of team. I guess a team uh, spirit and they all band together to defeat the common villain. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's a, I don't know. It's just, it feels this issue feels more polished. And, and again, uh, I feel like Stan Lee is maybe nailing down what he wants out of the characters and where he's going with them. He's still using weird phrasing and things and he's you know like uh we'll get to it later i'm sure but like magneto's powers his power set is all over the place <laughs> you think <laughs> yeah 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 Dang, tell us what you really oh. think <laughs> yeah we, <laughs> we'll definitely talk about that when we head into the x-men yeah. books yeah um, but yeah but um, i overall if you if you want to know what i thought overall i really liked it i thought it was a good crossover mm -hmm. and i thought it was really cool mm -hmm. the way they made the um it wasn't just like the typical story where this hero meets this other hero for the first time, but thinks he's a bad guy. No, they were actually being tricked. There's a little bit more to mm -hmm. the story. You know, it's a little bit more finessed. So it was good. Okay. Uh, I'm curious about Rowan's take on it. Now, I, I want to tell you guys, the best way to read these comics is to curl up with blankets and snacks and, uh, your best read. pal next to you and just read these books. Um, <laughs> uh, you forgot yeah. weed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We totally forgot weed. Um, we totally forgot weed. We started with the munchies. We didn't, you know, we were going backwards. So, um, but, but it's interesting because Rowan and I chatted and I like hearing I mean, this is old stuff, so, you know, old-fashioned stuff, and I liked hearing some of her thoughts. So why don't you give us some of your thoughts on this issue of X-Factor 28, Rowan? Oh, well, I mean, I, I enjoyed the book. I I mean, I, I think Ben, ben Grimm's an ass, but uh, <laughs> I, mean, it, I mean, his girlfriend makes a sculpture for him, you know, that's a very good likeness and um and he his compliment is not bad not bad baby not Ain't bad alicia, alicia baby. baby not bad yeah. alicia baby i mean come on you know yeah. 
Ben Grimm's uh, played by Telly Savalas. Right. <laughs> Not that. Come on. And um, he's like, that's the best you can do, asshole. And he's like, it's my favorite subject. So he then he just like showers compliments upon himself. So I was just like, this guy's an ass. And um, so I and immediately didn't like him. But also, yeah, does, I, 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 I agree with that. He does kind of come off as being misogynistic a bit at that part. Right. And and also just, yeah, just completely full of himself. And then also yeah. later in the issue, he he's standing next to that statue of himself that he had just been admiring. And then he he insults the X-Men as hero uh, worshippers. As people <laughs> and X-Men as hero worshippers. Yeah. And I, and I was like, what? The irony. Yeah. And um, but um, <laughs> but, the, but besides that, I in the issue, uh when the the x-men are, are tricked they are tricked into attacking the fantastic four and that's true but the, there were red I, I just kind of felt like there were red flags because the, because xavier kind of like he has done some things that are sketchy already like you know he's admitted to like reading minds and you know doing you know he's doing things like so he it isn't like he's doing anything he hasn't he isn't telling them but he's doing anything that he hasn't done and he and he has also told them to obey him before but his mannerisms are so extreme all of a sudden that it just seems like they're screaming red flags and they're just like okay we'll do what you say we're gonna go kick the fantastic four's ass and not just kick their ass but destroy them he tells them to go destroy them capture them and destroy them. destroy them and they're like all right <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Thank you. I was like, yeah, I was, that's the, I was the same thing. I was like, so they're just going to listen to this goof. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I want you to go beat the, I want you to go beat the crap out of four strangers. Okay. <laughs> it's not even beat the, I want you to capture them and then destroy them. Destroy them. And they're, I mean, you know, of course they did say, hey, wait, is that, are you joking or what? And he's like, no, I mean, I'm not. Yeah. Okay. They questioned it a little. And then he was like, obey me without question. And they were like, uh, all right. Oh, shit. That means we can't question. He really means Damn it. it. <laughs> <laughs> he played the don't question me card. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so tell me your thoughts, Shane. Well, so <laughs> Sue Storm, um, I can't believe that anyone in any time period thought that that hair was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and it's it's weird that this is supposed to that these like especially the X Men are supposed to. Rep represent you know unrepresented minorities which would include women but mm -hmm. when you read them it, you don't I, I don't get the impression that Stan Lee had ever actually talked to a woman <laughs> because right. I, yeah. I, I, I mean I honestly don't feel like he has any idea about the way women think and act and I you right. didn't, uh, just yeah it was really it's really odd especially like like they they never interact with each other like sue storm and alicia never talked to each other and you know what i mean and and, and it's just weird thing like there were some weird things like when um there were a couple frames in the fantastic four where it looked like 
they they were breaking the fourth wall. And with Alicia, it was okay because she's blind, but they drew her face on to the camera, like where the camera would be if you if this was being filmed, which is what it's supposed to be set up to look like. Sure. And and she's kind of looking at the camera, but then he, it happens throughout the book, like three or four, just this one book, this issue three or four times. It's like just straight dead on into what, breaking the fourth wall. Hmm. And I didn't get it as breaking the fourth wall. I got it as them kind of talking, you know, they, they, they kind of talk to themselves. It's not a, a there's not a, a, it's not a thought bubble. It's a word bubble, but it's like, you know, there's this dramatic sense of, I guess, you, you know, in a soap opera, mm-hmm. you know, old soap opera, they would turn towards the camera and say, but does he really love me? You know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of that vibe. <laughs> I don't think they're necessarily trying to break the fourth wall. I think, I think it's more of a talking to themselves, but well, I, you know, listening to Shane say that it, it occurs to me, I think his writing style was uh, almost seemed like it was influenced by um, romance novels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I know that kind of pedantic trite sort of dismissal of certain characters and the, the, the Again, the the male chauvinist sort of overtones with things, and you know, well, you have it's to, all you just have to kind remember. of like up. What's that? You have to remember too that the, the superhero comics are still still fairly new right now. Yeah. Um, and and before that, it was westerns, horror, horror true crime, and romance. romance. And these guys wrote and drew romance comics i mean yeah you know yeah stan lee's written a few himself it's yeah so but i also think that where i'm going with this is that uh i think that's what publisher they thought that that's what publishers would want and because of that they thought that's what the public would want Mm -hmm. and i think that that was just kind of the direction they took things there were just there so, were some you know, there, there were some yeah with just some really odd things and I guess like you said they're still in the middle of a transition here yeah maybe because I mean I would I I don't know for sure that Stan Lee was what Stan Lee was doing for them before the superhero stuff I haven't really looked into that I watched um there there was a biography kind of thing that was produced on him a long time ago and I watched it on. Uh, I think it may have been, it was either YouTube or Netflix just mm-hmm. after he passed away. And he talked about all the jobs he had at Marvel. He was like, dude, he did everything. Like he had all, he worked his way up through the ranks. And basically he got promoted here and there because sometimes there was just nobody else to do something. So, you know, they would look at him and be like, hey, Stan, come do this thing for us. And then he'd start doing that for a year. You know what I mean? So he had like this, crazy he had like this crazy uh work history with marvel before it was even marvel i think Mm -hmm. and doing writing was what he really wanted to do Mm -hmm. but he didn't really have like the uh i guess the guts to put himself out there and then finally it kind of just defaulted to him one day or something like that happened and he just was forced into it so he did it and and they liked his story so you know, that kind of stuff continued on at Marvel through, uh, like, into the 80s. Uh, <laughs> and, I and heading, I'm not even kidding, and heading up right into the 90s. Listening yeah. to, I heard a few 
recent interviews with Walt Simonson and um, Louise Simonson, and they kind of talk about that's how things happen sometimes, you know. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Well, that's that's so, how that, that we talked about Peter David earlier. I mentioned him, and that's how he got his job. He was the accountant. Yeah. <laughs> For real? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. But no, I mean there so, were there, there were some interesting things in this book that I that kind of threw me a little bit, like the the Ben being embarrassed about going to college. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's one thing we should think about too. Ben talks like a big oaf through the yeah. entire series. And you know, the ever loving blue-eyed thing, and he's like, I'm gonna club by yeah. He doesn't he doesn't, you know, use English. He uses like I don't know. Yeah, don't he's, know what he, he, uses. he still talks like he's from the street. Yeah. And, 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 it, and he, I just love it the, when, like, when Mr. Fantastic's like, Ben, you have multiple degrees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have to remember that Ben and Reed went to school together. Right. They had actually, they had the same classes in some case. Ben is a fucking astronaut because he flew that rocket into space. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was but he values downfield. violence. <laughs> yeah. Well, they that was statues of that himself. Over the decades, though, <laughs> yeah, that that's always kind of been pushed to the background because he's always been like, you know, the working class hero kind of guy of yeah, the group. Yeah, and yeah, it just yeah, like, working classes, the... and if you're working for NASA, right? I, I, exactly. I mean, but, but it was it was just like it really kind. of, I was like, oh, and it's like it just like a macho thing, like a like a I guess maybe because then it made it. You know, this is gonna be. <laughs> I'm gonna now draw parallels between early Fantastic Four and Michael Jackson. <laughs> uh -oh. Remember the <laughs> remember the early the 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 beginning of the video for Bad, where he's the the kid from the street that went to school and he comes back home and they're giving him shit about being the smart mm -hmm. guy now and that's yeah. how bad starts and then he explodes into his bondage gear and <laughs> and yeah but i mean at first it was like it was it was like oh yeah now you're smart now we're yeah so that was i was like is that where this like that came from was like that kind of street mentality where ben was supposed to supposedly have been from the street it just was weird to see it in print like that mm -hmm. and well yeah go ahead oh no go ahead well i was just going to move on to the fact that this we're reading this book because we're interested in the x-men right um and I mean, it's nice to look at the Fantastic Four and 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 take a look at those characters too, but I was thinking, this isn't an X Men book, but it, the X Men aren't all that different. It's not like they're written differently, and I mean, thank you to Stan Lee because he wrote both, so it's it's not like you get a different writer taking over a different, you know, like taking over the X Men and kind of making them uncharacteristic. Mm -hmm. However, when when professor so so what happens in the story is mad thinker gets to the puppet master and says okay get in on this radioactive clay make a figure of the x-men's leader who i don't know what he looks like but i'm gonna just kind of calculate that from what i know about the x-men he's a mm -hmm. bald guy in a purple suit <laughs> um <laughs> mm -hmm. make that pup make that that figure and then control his mind which happens controls the most powerful mutant mind in the world well because he added like you know another 4.623 ounces of radioactive clay because it didn't work the first time yeah, thank just, god for the mad thinkers calculations right um, <laughs> it was just 
I can't just but, really weird little things, just yeah. teeny little things like yeah. that. So, so what goes on from there is, of course, they make the figure. The ma- uh, the puppet master says, uh, "Now tell your X Men to capture and destroy the Fantastic Four. So, uh, you know, Xavier does, and he tells them, "Don't ask questions." So they they go, "Okay," and they go to the Fantastic Four's Baxter Building and pretend to be there as a nice on a nice visit and it's like gene gray is like miss storm you sure are pretty and you know they're they're doing all this like it's so nice to be here you guys are sweet you know and then they're like aha we got to destroy you and (laughs) you know exactly Jean Grey breaks breaks that killer statue that ben's girlfriend made uh because it was an accident yeah, because she can't lift a whole lot with her powers. She's just not that good uh, at at you know her powers yet. But after it's all over, you know, they they lead the Fantastic Four to the island where the Mad Thinker and Puppet Master are going to tra- trap the Fantastic Four. And then that figure gets broken, and Xavier busts out from a great distance, uses his mental power to. <laughs> to destroy the awesome android that the mad thinker has turned on the x-men and the fantastic four uh but we have the x-men and the fantastic four kind of going okay we're on the same side sorry about that in fact scott summer says basically he's basically saying uh gee sorry mr richards uh we were only taking order we were only you know taking orders actually the quote was our job is merely to obey him. <laughs> I was yeah. like, Jesus, this is getting creepy quick. I was yeah. like, yeah. man. And then and then at one point they they also say, no, Professor X controls us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> That's funny. No, like I, did like, I did like looking at pub- the it's like the early days of of, of a cult forming. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You get a well, free if haircut. You, if we you're reading follow. X, if you're reading X Men now, it's totally that. I mean, it, it has evolved into <laughs> the night time is the right time. Um, <laughs> but but the puppet master makes a comment in here about like he knows that Professor Professor X controls the X Men mentally, like you know, using his telepathy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. He doesn't wait, or does he? Right, or does that's, he? What, that's, that's what I'm saying. It's As... like we live, we live merely to obey his every word. Well, it turns out that he's suppressing Jean Grey's uh, mind, right? That's correct. So, yeah. it, you know, you know, maybe he, maybe there's a, an argument to be made for him doing that—that that he is controlling them mentally. I mean, if he's doing that to Jean Grey, what else is he doing? He's yeah. he's he 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 erases memories. He does all kinds of shit. Well, before we move on to the next issue, I would like to point out just some really interesting little uh, continuity errors that are in the book. Um, there's a couple that I really like. There's the part where the figure gets broken, and it's the beast that steps on it. But I believe it's the narrator later who talks about how the thing broke the figure, uh, which didn't actually happen because the thing was a hundred feet below the earth in that in that hole he fell in. <laughs> um, but I think that's fun. And then the another one was uh, at the beginning, the beast is saying, "Ah, 
fully on those X-Men. What have they done anyway? And Sue's like, well, they they beat Magneto, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, the Space Phantom, um, yep. which didn't actually happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, however, it was the Avengers. I want to say like Avengers 14 or something. I don't remember the exact number that they fought and defeated the space phantom. Um, <laughs> now Stan Lee wrote these books and he was also the editor. Now this is why you shouldn't edit your own work because, because you're not going to think you've done anything wrong and you're not really going to go through and check it out. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Spell check. <laughs> <laughs> Now, an editor would have said, hey, Stan, wait, they didn't know. They didn't fight the Space Phantom. Oh, sorry, I forgot about that. And and Stan, wait, it was actually the, the Beast who broke the figure. Oh, yeah, right, okay. Also, well, doesn't Scott Summers, I mean, doesn't also Cyclops point out something about the Thinker and that he's not supposed to know that the Thinker's the one running the show oh, that's at the right. time? Yeah, he says, he says uh, when the fantastic four is like actually we're busy right now doing a job for the navy or something for the air force and we're building a air new force. nose cone for the yeah just the nose cone that, that. Yeah. <laughs> and uh and scott says great that he thinks to himself great that's exactly what the thinker said would happen well he hasn't even talked to the thinker it's xavier that talked to the thinker he should be saying that's exactly what professor x would have said or you know yeah so anyway well, I, I um, felt I felt at one point in this book that there may have been like a a page missing, mm-hmm. like it was edited or something, but not well because they talk about this big truce. We're declaring a truce. Then the X Men just kind of leave, and the Fantastic Four is supposed to follow them, mm-hmm. and then so they go all go to the island, and then the X Men attack them. Yeah. But they were under a truce at this uh, when they show back up again. And it's like, all right, let's fight again. Well, it was all lies. It was all lies, just like the pretense of being there, you know, to ask for their help checking out this thing. Um, you know, uh, y- yeah. What a, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, almost, I don't know. <laughs> I almost wonder if. I almost wonder if Stanley had more ideas for where the story was supposed to go, but then he realized he's only got a certain number of pages to fill. Yeah, you only have twenty-two pages, Stan. It, Sorry. yeah, yeah. There's and and in some of the later books that we'll talk about, it seems like oh, we're a little short. Throw a panel in on page seven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, that and then like yeah, but you could yeah. When you mentioned that he's doing his own editing, it makes a lot more sense because one of the things I was like, why does Professor X? defeating the android from so far away that the android with the big brick head um mm-hmm. how does that make him wise they were like oh he must be very wise yeah he was able to defeat well, this android he also said that the x-men the youngsters were very wise like he said it really makes me feel good for the future of our children these are the kids that lied to him and <laughs> and we're just and blindly we're just following, following orders who, yeah who said to destroy yep. them i don't know reed your judgment is poor <laughs> <laughs> uh so um yeah, so so I have to say I had a lot of fun reading this this book. Uh, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite comics, but but again, <laughs> looking back at the historical standpoint, it was a blast, and and we laughed our asses off while we were reading. So, 
Um, <laughs> uh, I, I do want to say also, uh, I am taking note of all the robots that get left behind, all the secret bases that get left <laughs> behind. And I mean, if I were the X-Men and I had, you know, a new Magneto, a formerly Magneto owned base and a formerly Mad Thinker owned base and a big brick headed robot, I'd have all kinds of cool shit and I would use it. Um, <laughs> Send the robots. But... We don't got to go do this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that was Reed's robot to begin with. Um no so mo moving on to yeah, uh, just real quick on that one though yeah they, they, the book made it seem like reed gave the robot to the mad thinker <laughs> <laughs> he's like well he 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 won it fair and square you yeah know? <laughs> <laughs> i mean i wasn't looking at any change to programming so it's his now yeah <laughs> Well, the mad thinker is very wise, and I think Reed would would agree. Uh, so, so moving into X Men number six, which I like a whole lot better. So, X Men number six is where Professor X and Magneto both at the same time decide we need to get this Namor guy on our teams, and so they both use <laughs> they both use astral travel because, well, magnetism, uh -huh. magnetism. And, uh, <laughs> And, and that's how you do. Uh, <laughs> and, that's how you do. And they have an entire seven C's to look for <laughs> Namor, but they happen to go right to him. I mean, it's like they know where he is. And oh, look, there he is. Ah, dang it, says Professor X. Magneto beat me to it. Well, I'm just going to go home. Um, so he, he splits. Magnetism is very effective. That's I'm guessing that's why Xavier just went back to his body. <laughs> yeah. He's like, shit, I can't beat that. He's using magnetism. <laughs> can't beat that. Forget it. So 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 Magneto realizes now here's the fun part. And and Magneto is like, I'm gonna go talk to I'm gonna go tell him he needs to join us because he's, he's a mutant submit. too. And and of course he will submit to me or else and and so he goes to talk to him and and realizes that that's not going to work so easily. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead. We'll talk a little bit about this here in a minute. But Magneto does talk to him and go, "Hey, why don't you come to my island and join my join my brotherhood of evil mutants?" And and you know, Namor's like, "Wait, I'm a I'm a mutant. Yeah, I'm a mutant. That's right." I am a mutant. Okay, cool. Let's check this out. So he goes, and the X-Men track down Magneto's island. Apparently, it's hard to find, although it's the only island with a super giant magnet on top of a mountain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so they do that, and uh, of course, there's you know the fight between Brotherhood of Evil Mutants and Namor versus the X-Men. Uh, you know, and well... Namor decides, you know, screw the X-Men, screw the Ma Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I work for no one. I'm Prince of Atlantis. And uh, and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants flee? Um, <laughs> at any rate, everybody takes off. Magneto, or uh, Namor doesn't join the bad guys, nor does he join the good guys, because he doesn't need anybody. Now, Rowan's got some thoughts here on uh, Namor, and I, I kind of want to hear this. So, like, I started to say something about how uh, 
you know, Magneto is going to go talk to Namor, but realizes that's not a good idea. Tell, tell me what your thoughts are and about that, that section of the story there. Well, what's really funny about it is he's like, he's going to submit to me. And then when he goes down there, he sees him huffing and puffing and he's really angry. And then he's like, Ooh, maybe I'll wait. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of pissed. He's maybe I, pissed. I don't want to bother maybe him I'll right wait. now. Because <laughs> magnetism. Because um, <laughs> magnetism. Yeah. But yeah. So he kind of like talks to one of his, one of his lackeys and convinces him convinces him to convince him to come to the land come to land come to tell him to that you know this guy magneto who's real badass and that he should join him and he does so by playing and on he does that greed and, and then he's, he's like, like and then you can take over yeah. and then you can sit on the throne while he's gone yeah that's the ticket and um and that actually seems to work but he kind of takes this sneaky way because <laughs> he's actually intimidated by Namor. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing so, like about Submariner is that he's a feminist. He, yeah, he is. He's a feminist. That's true. So there's a bit where Magneto talks shit to Scarlet Witch, and uh, and and uh, Namor is like, um, "You do you not know, talk to females that way. Do not and do not talk to females that way." And Magneto's like, "All right, then, you're not going to be on my team." And- <laughs> <laughs> fine i'm i'm taking my ball and going home um <laughs> but we, yeah so so shane i want to hear about how how awful you feel this book is. well so again it's not that it's not that i feel it's awful um first i don't think we can talk too much about namor without talking about how fucking awesome his eyebrows are yeah. his eyebrows are awesome <laughs> The eyebrows yeah. are awesome, and then once he gets the crown and the and the cape, it's like yeah, just he was the first first drag race contestant. It just <laughs> I was, fantastic. I was gonna say he looked like a pro wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> no, the that but then like you know you've got Bobby making ice cream again. Yes. Which, so that was yeah, that was and I don't want to think about what's in that ice cream. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> and then no, the one that the but the one that the the part that there was like the. Like mastermind fucking with everybody on the island, I thought that was awesome. Like the yeah. the, right. the the cyclops, fake cyclops, and then the vines, and then the uh-huh. bog, and it's like, but no, the the like the there were a couple of things like when yeah, so when Magneto and Professor X are astrally projecting at the exact same time, <laughs> <laughs> and they're both walking in their astral forms <laughs> underwater. Why right. in their astral forms? Um, because because when you love each other so much, <laughs> you're you're so in tune to what the others what the others doing. That's right. No, but and then um, I really dug um, the X Men's pirate ship. Yes, because you know, that's you know you have a you have a you know a the state of the art jet and a pirate ship. Yes, indeed. Hey, but they I did think... have tech they did have technology on that ship. Remember, they had a TV camera. That's true. But I think my favorite vehicle in this issue was Namor's submarine. Because <laughs> if it is one thing that Namor needs, it is a submarine. 
I just I saw that thing hey. coming out of the dock, and I'm like, you're not even fucking trying. <laughs> <laughs> they don't call him the submariner for nothing. Oh um, man. Yeah. So so. But uh, I you mean, know, it's, I really you, what I did like was the way they did Submariner though was like he was so strong and so powerful. Yeah, he launched supposed the to have the strength of a hundred men. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, that was really cool. I feel like the characterization was cool, and but like just hurled Angel. <laughs> but it was yeah. I mean, so there was some really cool stuff. But yeah, like yeah, those the the um the pirate ship and the submarine. nice yeah if uh if i may draw our attention to the first page okay um if you remember uh, i talked about Artie simic who did the uh does the lettering for a lot of books Mm -hmm. Um, and and last time i mentioned how marvel had three letterers sam rosen joe rosen and art simic um in this issue of the X-Men, the lettering is done by Sam Rosen mm-hmm. um, and also inked by Chick Stone. So the artwork here is, uh, like Roger mentioned, it's getting better as far as uh, how things are looking. The backgrounds are done a little bit better. The same pieces of furniture show up in different on different pages when they're in the same room, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we've got uh, kind of... <laughs> kind of an introduction page on this first page where they're kind of showing off their powers. Shane, you mentioned how Iceman is making ice cream with his power. Um, And uh, Jean Grey is, well, she made dinner. She made dinner. That's that's, that's a woman's true superpower (laughs) is the stove. Yeah. Yeah, boy. Stan. God, I know he was he was married, right? I mean, uh, <laughs> um, and then yeah. and then uh, Beast is reading at the table, so he's obviously got bad manners. He's got the bad manners of an animal, and uh, Cyclops is shooting his hand while he's reaching across the table, grabbing at sugar or something. But what I noticed right away was the book that Beast is reading is uh, an advanced math book to kind of drive home that he is smart. <laughs> and uh the yeah. the the author of this advanced math book by the way is somebody by the name of a simic which i thought yep. was kind of cool oh yeah uh, sam sam rosen is like throwing his buddy already there into the into the panel but well, what, but i uh, what, the, what the thing that i'm drawn to in this is beast's face yes um, i am it's like fascinating because yes. i feel like that 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 has to be a recycled picture oh really interesting yes. why do you think that look at the glasses like the glasses don't fit on that face right like the i <laughs> the it's like the, the 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 glasses were drawn on after the rest of the well, i mean and that could be but it looks like the glasses were drawn on after the picture was complete because like one eyebrow hangs over the top of the glasses and yeah it's just a very like i just feel like it's a very odd picture I think it's. I think part of the issue with that is the contortion of the face. He's got like a I, Todd McFarlane look on his face. Well, you know, I, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I'm looking at this image right now, and I'm actually impressed that all the characters look different because in the first couple issues, they all there the was same. not much difference between the faces of the characters. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, yeah, Angel's got, you know, the yellow hair and Beast has kind of reddish brown hair and all that. But I mean, there's just, there's a little more subtlety in this. Yeah, I'm, I'm, right. I'm actually, I'm actually impressed. And if it continues to get better, I may have to retract what I said about Kirby's art. Well, it gets better, but at some point Kirby does leave the book. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, okay. I, I like here too, this is, you know, they, Later on, like in the 90s, every issue started with them in the danger room using their powers. Yeah. And and but here we are, they're at the table using their powers. So I think they were kind of getting stuck because even in the early issues, it was like they're training and Professor X is training them. And, you know, Beast is kind of dodging through these hoops and angels flying around things that crush and Jean Grey is knitting or I don't know whatever she's doing. But um, making a cherry pie. Yes. So, yep. so here we, here we have all this action going on at the table. Um, Cyclops, of course, lifting his glasses to shoot his eye beams. And I'm like, wait, he has no eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so, so I really enjoyed it. And I'll tell you what I really liked about this was the dynamic between Namor and everybody else. And I've never, I mean, I used to buy the Namor uh, Submariner comic books back in the day. You know, the art was cool and some of the stories were great. We had John Byrne doing Namor the Submariner. We had, uh, and then later on, Jay Lee's Submariner art was really interesting. Um, that art was so good, they based the Aquaman movie on it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, and, and I mean, it, you know, those books were fun, but I've never been like, a huge Submariner fan. Because he's a um, dick. He's a <laughs> dick. He really is an asshole. Um, and he's got those little wings on his feet. But they, they make a comment about it. Like, even the toad is like, those wings on his feet, they're so small. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to emasculate him by calling his wings small. Looks like um, he's trying to compensate for something. All <laughs> wings. <laughs> my feet are big you know what they say about the size of a guy's feet yeah they better be small enough to accompany those wings um but he uh they they, they you know even i think I, I think it's magneto who's like well he's pretty awesome he doesn't need a costume he's you know he just wears like these little green underwear and and that's all uh he doesn't need to look you know amazing because he is amazing he's got the strength of a hundred men and Mm -hmm, and he's mm -hmm. obviously pretty intimidating because Magneto's scared of him. But anyway, that Magneto only needs fear. That's that's how he controls his group. Um, I know but, he he derides loyalty. Yeah. He actually derides loyalty and says how he just needs to rule by fear. Yeah, and odd, I, I find odd, it interesting. Odd. He's repeated it. He's repeated that statement multiple times. I uh, I I read this issue and I'm like. It's interesting, you know, seeing what Magneto becomes, because I love Magneto, I, especially current day and, and within the last 20 years, I think he's been really awesome. Last 30 years, he's been really awesome. Um, you know, he's done everything from run the, uh, the Xavier School to, you know, to, to being a, a superhero, damn it, and an antihero after that, you know, so. Yeah, right around I I, 200 is where he starts to get a little more depth 
Yeah. I mean, the, during the trial of Magneto. He goes to, he goes to trial. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so he's he is a fun character. Um, and you kind of look at him a little little more sympathetically. Here, he's just a dick. And he has a bunch of asses working for him. I mean, that mastermind is always fucking around. You know, he's goofing around by creating images of Cyclops that cause Magneto to shoot his ray gun. You know that <laughs> right. yeah. he's 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 deplorable, but a coward. He is, he is a coward. Yeah, yeah. Because he always backs down and says, "Sorry, sorry, uh, didn't mean anything." Right. It. He does these awful things, and he has a completely terrifying power, but he's a coward. Mm. And that's why I love Mastermind. I, the more I, the more I read Mastermind, the more I like him as a bad guy, and I kind of want him to be. He could, he could really take Magneto down. You know, I mean, he could be the ultimate bad guy for the X Men, but they never really played him that way. You know, Professor X says something in this issue that. I can't, I can't remember what page it's on um, that I found interesting because he makes it has to do with him wanting to make Submariner an X-Man. He makes a comment about how it's his goal to keep people from becoming part of the Brotherhood. It's his goal to ha to to make people X-Men as opposed to being part of the Brotherhood. And I thought, well, that's interesting because I thought your goal was peaceful coexistence with humans. Yeah. But... No, he, but yeah, he you're right. He says that he he wants to kick the shit out of the evil mutants. He's like, no, we have we have to we have to eradicate the evil mutants. <laughs> right. Secretly, right. secretly forming a paramilitary mutant group of his own. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was like, wait, are so are you forming teams? Or are you going for peaceful coexistence? Which one is it? You know, and or you know, if, if it's this and that's fine. But you, which you were like, my goal is. <laughs> One of the things I wanted to do when, when putting this group together was looking at the allegories uh, used in the X-Men. And we talked about the allegory of, uh, you know, like civil rights, civil rights. And I mean, later on, it becomes an allegory for uh, LGBTQ rights uh, or, or just, you know, uh, what else is there? There's, I mean, so many things, you know, feminism it was brought up. He, uh, I, I think... The allegory that that Stanley, I've heard him talk about, or read him talk, read him in, a, in an interview talk about, was um, the Magneto and Xavier as Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Jr. Um, but when you hear that Xavier is putting together his own paramilitary group, like which one was Malcolm X? <laughs> which one? You know? right, you mean the allegory of Malcolm X and Malcolm X? That's what it is. <laughs> 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 I don't like you know, like I said this whole the the whole the X-Men as a whole just reads differently when you realize it's a divorced gay couple fighting over <laughs> how to raise the kids. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we yeah. And the kids are dogs. <laughs> that will only that will only get more and more obvious as time goes on. Um <laughs> there's there's uh there's another there's some like interesting stuff too. This is the issue where Angel calls Gene honey um you know and is he it just this says issue? it yeah it's this issue it's it, he just says it like uh, uh you remember do you remember the quote rowan or what was what was happening at the time? oh yeah i can't remember but she because 
because it's this issue in the last issue, I think, where she kind of does the thing where she's like trying to use her mental power and she's like, oh, it's so heavy. But the, but but there's moments of like encouragement where they're where they kind of like are like, you've helped us and oh, not so bad. You know, like they kind of in their way, the team, the, the, the teammates have kind of like encouraged Jean yeah. with the fact that she's used her power and helped them take part in the saving or the fighting or whatever but you know she was like holding up quicksilver or something like that and she couldn't he was was spinning him out or something like that right and and then warren takes over and she and then she's like good job warren and he's like not so bad yourself honey or something like that yeah well in this issue she's i think trying to lift the beast but he's too heavy and she does the thing like she did with the awesome android where i can't i can't it's too heavy. I can't handle it. Um, and she gets back up. Well, I think it's kind of cool because she does this a few more issues and then it's not a problem anymore. So obviously her mastery over the power is, is getting oh, better. It, it'll better. be next issue when they graduate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- yeah. another, another thing that happens here is that that beast is able to talk while completely underwater holding up professor x's chair so he doesn't so <laughs> professor x doesn't sink into the ocean well so this is a... their pirate ship is exploded and 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 the beast is there to save professor x and he's like don't worry i got you while he's underwater holding the chair above his head and swimming <laughs> um <laughs> So, so this is also uh, the issue where Hank says that Namor just liked the sound of his own voice, which I find yeah. hilarious because <laughs> in the Fantastic Four issue, um, the Thing blamed blamed Hank of the same thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and one of the um, things I did find interesting was that that Iceman starts to become the Thing of the X Men after the Fantastic Four issue. How do you mean? Well, he starts knocking oh the beast for being the smart guy and just playing up, yeah, oh, the regular guys like me versus the smart guy like you. And mm. and but I, I didn't yeah. really notice that until after they met up with the Fantastic Four. Interesting. Mm. That's very interesting. I'm gonna keep an eye on that too. Uh Rowan and I have been talking about this. Of course, in current continuity. Um, you know, Iceman ha- came out, it's probably been like 10 or 15 years ago now. I mean, I, I remember when it happened and it does seem like a long time ago. So Iceman is gay and he obviously wasn't being written by Stan Lee that way, but we read it and we're like, or was he? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Stan knew as well as anybody else that a teenager coming out in 1964 was a bad idea. Maybe, you know, maybe. Which I'm probably giving Stan way too much credit, but that <laughs> well, and to, been and, cool. to, and to be fair, um, Iceman didn't actually come out. Jean Grey just outed him. She outed him. It's that, yeah, like, no, it's it's like, just, yeah. But it is interesting because there are these things that are kind of you know singular about him that are probably just coincidental. But it's like, oh, oh, look, oh, it it's it makes sense that if they chose one of the X-Men to just go ahead and make the gay one, that it was mm-hmm. him. You know what I mean? Yep. That might've been the thought process behind it too. They might've. Um, so in this issue, uh, there's 
Magneto uses the Scarlet Witch to cause Namor to swoon. He figures that using her as um, kind of bait, like she would kind of convince Namor to join because she's so pretty. Um, and at the same time, Scarlet Witch sees him and she starts to swoon. Um, <laughs> uh, Angel, of course, calls Jean Honey. Namor, of course, defends Scarlet Witch. So we know that even though he's a big dick, he's also a feminist and uh, hooray <laughs> for that. Mastermind, there's a panel in here where Mastermind says to be careful to Mastermind. Like he says, literally, be careful, Mastermind. <laughs> That's, that's mastermind saying it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, who is Stanley's editor again? Good grief. Um, so Xavier, I believe, tells Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch that they're welcome to join the X-Men, that they can stick around. Because they're like, you know, Magneto's a big jerk. And you could tell Scarlet Witch is getting to the point where she's getting ready to leave. You know, I know she owes Magneto a debt of gratitude because he saved their lives. But she's really getting tired of this crap. Um, and so Xavier's like, well, you could join us. And they're like, no, we better not. Um, <laughs> and then they leave. And Jean's like, well, I'm glad that she didn't stick around. She's way too attractive. Um, <laughs> yeah. So at any rate. Um, so I, I, yeah. one of the things that I guess that we do have to address, because we talked about it, you know, supposedly being fem feminism. And I did kind of crap on you know, that the lack of interaction with females that, mm -hmm. but I guess, I mean, when you compare it to the, to the other books that were being put out at the time, like Jean Grey and Sue Storm were, were leaps and bounds ahead of like the stuff that DC was putting out where oh, sure. there yeah. was the, yeah. there was literally a book called Superman's girlfriend, Lois Lane. <laughs> Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah where where yeah. she she tried to marry a new dude every issue to make Superman jealous. It's like well, this issue, Lois tries to marry a man with rickets. This even, issue yeah. <laughs> Lois tries <laughs> to marry a man in an iron lung. This, this, this issue, Lois goes to prison in parentheses <laughs> to find a man. <laughs> um <laughs> I don't know that I can ever get over that now. Oh my god. So <laughs> Right. They uh, were actually doing stuff. Yeah. And like I said, the the way that Jean was written, even though she was like there were we were just discussing it this morning, that sometimes the guys would be like, Oh, this guy's strong and it's kind of hard to fight him. Um but Jean would be like, Oh, this is hard. Um, but they she would be doing something. Yeah. Yeah. And uh and then there would be this sort of like good job, Gene. You know, that was progressive for the time. They're, yeah, yeah, they're giving her pets. You know, um I think R Rowan wasn't it you that was defending uh there was some oh, defending Jean Grey at the table. Remember how I said that Jean Grey made dinner? Um in Jean Grey's defense, and Rowan pointed this out, it it wasn't like she always has to cook dinner. It was the cook's night off. And so Jean's like, well, I'll help with dinner, you know? So it wasn't like... Because the cook's a woman, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't defending her exactly. Yeah. I was like, well, the cook... It, it was the cook's night off. Yeah, I was okay. Like, <laughs> you know, but I was and basically saying she didn't do it every night. 
But you can't you can't have like Bobby cooking because he'll make everything out of ice cream. Every, yeah, everybody's and... gonna be eating ice cream. <laughs> now, I gotta I gotta say, oh god, I could not hold it together while we were reading these books because <laughs> we talked about Shane about how Bobby is actually naked every time he changes into Iceman because yeah. there's one where he's just wearing boots uh -huh. and. And then every within the books that we read, there's a few times where it's Iceman wearing nothing like it's Bobby. Okay, not Iceman, but he's his Bobby form wearing underwear covered in puddles of white, white. goo. And and I'm Pearl like jam. I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even I can't. I oh my god. Uh what in the world is going on? Um but yeah, he's just kind of damp and, and, and wet and shiny. But it's uh, what's with the ice cream? How does that work? I don't. Yeah, I does, like does one finger I don't shoot out think about it. shoot out ice and the other two shoot out cream and sugar. I don't know exactly how that's happening. Yeah, but don't want to think about it. I mean, all I know is giraffes love it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's that's the that's the most important thing. I mean, at least at least at least as comic books progressed, we did get soft serve who just just poops oh. the ice cream. So, <laughs> yeah, well, but it's not. but if we if we think like the, the most important thing I got from this reading this issue was I realized that when they relaunched the X-Men in the, the Marvel Universe for the movies, Michael Wincott has to be the first villain and it has to be Mastermind. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> God, yeah, that would be he, perfect. He would be so great. He's yeah. got the voice of a chain smoker already. That's right. So, just yeah, that's that. I would so be down for Michael Wincott as Mastermind, as the greasy Mastermind. I don't want this like going into the Hellfire Club Mastermind unless he's really spruced up. Because to me, that's like two different characters. Yeah, they did. They did did change a lot in that short time. Um. So any last thoughts before we move on to the next book? I like this one because I thought it was a neat sort of crossover. Mm -hmm. And I like that they're building the Marvel universe. Yeah. They're having these these weird little crossovers you wouldn't necessarily they're think making, of conne the, making connections. Yeah. The, I mean it was X-Men versus Fantastic Four. Now they're now they're, you know, fighting a Fantastic Four villain. Mm -hmm. And there's even like page two of the book. Um there's a the newspaper yeah. literally says where is the submariner like professor okay. x is reading reading it while drinking his coffee and says where is submariner it kind of gives you like a like preview of what's going to happen it's like foreshadowing to yeah. use a, a nice little movie term i like but, i like that thought but i gotta say the first thing i thought was this is every issue this is how they get this is how they get their news i mean xavier doesn't have high-tech computers or anything he's like where are we going to find our mutants well let me take a look at the paper yeah <laughs> well yep. and so and i think that like what you what we were talking about earlier like that why marvel works better than dc and that's part of it was they made their universe interchangeable yes early on yeah i mean how many different places have the x-men lived throughout the history of the X-Men book. How many play like the 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 Avengers recently were living in the body of a of a frozen or dead sentinel in Antarctica. Uh, 
uh, uh, Celestial. Celestial, yeah. 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 Um, yep. And but DC is much more rigid about their yeah. characters. Always Metropolis, always the Batcave. Always the Batcave, but you're always right. the same group of villains. Mm-hmm. Like they don't. The, the villains don't cross over as much. And when they do, it's like, oh, look, the Riddler's in Nightwing. Well, that's fucking cheating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, well, you you talk about that. And, and I mean, we, we can look at Spider-Man, who uh, one of his main villains was the Kingpin. Kingpin. Started out as a, as a Spider-Man villain. But I think now he's predominantly known as a Daredevil villain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, however, the kingpin is all over New York, and everybody, even Emma Frost, has to fight his ass. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, he's he's everywhere. I feel like so. I feel like he showed up on Madripoor once or twice. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Devil's Devil's Reign, I think, was the crossover event, and it crossed over barely into the X Men, and so Emma Frost had to go talk to the kingpin. Um, but but yeah, it's. It is interesting the way the Marvel does that. The, it's really one of the reasons why I love Marvel so much. I'm like you. It's it's the continuity of the thing that that you know is is so gripping and so interesting. Yeah, it like whenever whenever there's a a a conflict or a team up between two heroes in DC, it's because it's typically because of a new villain that these two guys have to go off and defeat. And you know, Flash, Flash has to run on his treadmill with Batman <laughs> tethered to him, so that they can go defeat some interdimensional fella that no one else will ever see again, except Alan Moore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us this episode, everybody. Next episode, we are going to be dipping into X Men numbers seven, eight, and nine. And uh, I look forward to hearing, or excuse me, look forward to seeing everybody, hearing everybody. You guys are going to be there, right? We're also going to be dipping our chocolate in our peanut butter. Ooh. Oh, hey. Uh, oh, that's not. <laughs> that's for my candy podcast. I'm sorry. I forgot. <laughs> All right. All right. Now I got to make cool. a note. Start candy podcast. Yep. <laughs> I'm down for that, dude. I'll talk about it. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next.